Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. Hey everyone, it's your friend, Kurt. Frankum, the host of the Leading Saints podcast, I welcome you back for another episode, or maybe this is your first time. And if it is, there's a few things you need to know about Leading Saints. And that is, we are a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through a variety of methods. And man, we have some future ideas and plans that you're going to love. This is also going to stimulate that, help us accomplish that mission. As far as today, now what we do is this podcast, which is awesome, 400 plus episodes. So I encourage you to jump in and uh, start somewhere and start with this episode. Uh, we also have our newsletter, which you can find at Leading Saints or subscribe to at leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. It goes out every Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe sometimes Thursday, but uh, with additional leadership thought that you'll, you'll find nowhere else. But in the newsletter, we also have uh, virtual summits all recorded that you can access the website, leadingsaints.org, great articles, and our social medias where community is, and it's all just wonderful. So jump in. Now, I got a question for you. I'm just going to be real here. Do you like that I like go on about who the guest is and what we're going to talk about? I guess you do. I mean, it just sort of seems like the thing to do before an episode, but you know, you can always reach out to us at leadingsaints.org slash contact and give me your blunt, hard feedback. Let me have it. I can take it. I got some thick skin here. So but let me know if there's a way we can improve the podcast. We actually have done this in the past. Here I am uh, droning on. But in the past, early on, I spent a lot of time like hearing the person's background and asking them silly questions and whatever. And some people still claim maybe I don't get into the meat of the episode soon enough. But we've made a significant improvement to jump in, get to the meat as quickly as possible. And this episode has some of that pure leadership meat that you're looking for. I interview Corinne Lay, who is the host and producer of This is the Gospel podcast, one of the three podcasts that LDS Living produces. And they do a great job with just creating solid faith-promoting content. You definitely have to subscribe and uh, follow those. And uh, I've actually been on This is the Gospel podcast before, which we tease in this episode. And I tell a story about a time I was bishop, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But Corinne does a phenomenal storytelling podcast. And so we meet in our podcast host meetings, the secret meetings we have. And we were talking recently, and I said, you know, we should do an episode about storytelling. Or I think it might have been her idea. I don't mean to take credit. And so I said, let's do it. And let's get an outline together and talk about how leaders can leverage the power of storytelling in their organization. And what you're going to find, it's not just for entertainment reasons or, hey, I know how to tell a funny story, but it is a unifying force that can really transform the culture of your ward, quorum, or relief society. 
and it is worth talking about, and you're going to love this episode. So here's my interview with Corinne Lay, the host and producer of This is the Gospel podcast. Today, I had the opportunity to connect with the powers of Zoom, which Zoom is the sponsor of everything these days. They just sponsor <laughs> the world because that's how we communicate. I'm talking with Corinne Lay. How are you, Corinne? I'm great. How are you, Kurt? Awesome. Now, you are a fellow podcaster, and so I feel that much more connected to you <laughs> because you know the trials that come. The tribulations. The tribulations. tribulations. Of That's podcasting right. in the COVID era. That's right. In the COVID era. No, put that one on top as well. So yes. a lot of people probably are familiar with you and your voice. Are you the host? Are you the producer of This is the Gospel? Yeah. So a little bit of both. I, um, yeah, I produced the This is the Gospel Storytelling podcast and the Sunday on Monday study group, which is a Come Follow Me podcast. And then I host and write the This is the Gospel segments. <laughs> I don't know what nice. to call them. Yes. So uh, tell us, how does your road lead to this podcast? Oh, the, the, I, you know, the, This is the gospel podcast, not necessarily this episode. Yeah. So I have always been a storyteller. I think that I grew up in a family of storytellers on both sides. And I have always loved the power and the possibility of storytelling and frankly, the drama of it all. It's very dramatic to do storytelling. <laughs> and, and so I've always kind of had my hand in that, but usually through writing. So I studied English literature in my undergrad, and then I went back to school to get a master's in communications with film as my emphasis, which I realized was storytelling like at its finest, right? Like everyone can see that. It's visual storytelling. And uh, I've just been obsessed with it. And podcast wasn't really on my mind, but I started listening to some storytelling podcasts and realized that we have stories of faith. We have stories, yeah. beautiful stories of faith that we need to share and that it could change the way I heard other, to be frank, I heard other people telling stories that the authentic road of faith is to leave the church, right? That if you mm -hmm. get smarter, if you really listen to things and you really start paying attention, then it will automatically authentically lead you away from the gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ because you'll get smarter. And, and I didn't believe that. And I started to get a little bit frustrated by that narrative. And I said, we can change the narrative. And the narrative can yeah. change if we tell the stories of authentic faith and people who choose to stay. Yeah. Now, I always uh, joke with people as far as the, I use the term, I don't know if I created this, but <laughs> it's called the back of the enzyme story, right? Mm -hmm. and, and everything ended just like it does in the back of the enzyme stories, where for years and years when we had the enzyme back in the day, now oh, it's yes, uh, Leona. Yes. But the church found these remarkable stories, faith-promoting stories, but they were just almost too on the nose, <laughs> like just too perfect, right? And so- and everything and, worked and, out. And everything worked out and everybody mm -hmm. became a stake president, Relief Society president, and had <laughs> other children went on missions and it was great. So with this, maybe give us the premise of This is the Gospel podcast and sure. then and how do you try and avoid or, or bring more vulnerability and authenticity into these stories? Yeah, so- um at the beginning of every episode, and let's see if I can do it from memory, because this would be magical if I could. But at the beginning <laughs> of every episode, we say, welcome to This is the Gospel, an LDS living podcast where we feature real stories from real people who are practicing and living their faith every day. And I'm actually going to start crying because we were really careful about the wording that we used in that intro, practicing and living our faith. And the reality is, is that every single one of us is just practicing. We're in the process right now 
of learning how to do God things. We're learning how to do disciple things. And so it was really important. Um, This is the gospel actually started as a video series before it was a podcast. So I was helping LDS Living to develop all of their video content. And we just thought storytelling would be a really great way to do it. And so, so we started having people come and tell their stories in two to three minutes, which doesn't give you very much time to get into the nitty gritty of it. But people really responded to it. And so when we decided to do some podcasts, including the All In podcast and This Is The Gospel, that was one of the top ones that we wanted to do. But my personal feeling was I don't want to do it if we can't tell the, the parts that are unresolved. Because practicing your faith, living your faith equals Mm. questions and unresolved things and moments where we're not our best, but God allows us the space to be that person anyway. Yeah. What I've appreciated, I I actually, I don't know what episode number my story was on, but okay. Well, my (laughs) voice has been on, uh, this is the gospel podcast. I told a story about a real moment when I was a bishop and where it was hard. And, uh, and so I, I've appreciated the many stories that are on in your library of just those real moments that are mm-hmm. inspiring, but also are relatable so that you don't walk away thinking, well, I guess the gospel works for them, but yeah. not for me, but because they are real stories. And I loved your story because it showed the real grit that has to happen when you get called to be a bishop. We're really hard on our bishops. We're so hard on our bishops. And and there's something really beautiful about a bishop explaining, like, here's what it really looks like to try to do something and to mess up and to be corrected by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. So I love your story. I'll find the episode and I'll... I'll tell you in a minute. We'll definitely put it in the the, the show notes. And that was a good tease. I mean, we we haven't given anything. People are going to have to go listen to it. You know, that'll be be great. And obviously (laughs) they can do that on any, whatever podcast app they're listening to this, they can search. This is the gospel and find that. So, and subscribe. And uh, just quickly, you you mentioned one, I want to plug all the LDS living podcasts. We have all in, which is like the all powerful podcast (laughs) in the Latter-day Saint uh, world. As far as I'm concerned, Morgan's like who I'm trying to become. Yeah. She said that that podcast Morgan, that podcast, podcast is a little bit of a juggernaut. We were so surprised at how I mean, yeah. not not surprised at the way Morgan is such a good host, but surprised at the level of good yeah. that it's doing. Where we really love that. Yeah. So, and then is there one more other podcast yeah. that you have now? Yeah. So we have the Sunday on Monday pod study group, but that one is on Bookshelf Plus, so it's not oh, on okay. all the free free things. You have to have a subscription to Bookshelf Plus for that one, but, which I do. So oh, well done, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> another yeah. plug i mean what other entity look uh, at this Desiree? yeah <laughs> anyways this is great so i wanted to spend some time as we talked and prepared for this uh podcast you talked about just this this concept of storytelling and mm-hmm. you know it's great what you do with the podcast and it's one thing to have that to listen to but it's a whole nother thing to bring storytelling into your organization and really leverage it because as you know like you're not just having it's not like donny osmond steve young and Mm-hmm. you know, insert famous Mormon story. It's like, these are everyday people who tell a story that is so remarkable and so faith promoting, right? And all these stories are happening in our wards or in our elders quorums, in our yeah. relief societies. And I've spent actually a lot of time in the in the Leading Saints newsletter, really talking about this concept of, of storytelling. Because mm-hmm. you think of the typical elders quorum or relief society, you know, back when we it was typical and we would meet <laughs> And, and do that thing. But even now with, with with the on Zoom, like you come in, you sit down, maybe there's some small talk with the guy next to you or <laughs> in Zoom or whatever. And then, all right, who's got the lesson? And they go through, you know, hey, you read this quote, whatever, right? And 
that's fine, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a higher way to do that. And I have really encouraged people. One thing I actually did as an elders corn president is I really tried to tell the stories in the room, right? Because I mm-hmm. remember one brother coming to me and sharing a moment of faith and doubt that he went through. And we were able to tell that appropriately. And it just, we, everybody leaned in and we felt connected to that brother and so forth. So where should we start as far as leveraging stories in an organization to help unify and connect that organization? That's a great question. So I think the very first thing that I like to start with is the idea that you don't think you have a story. I bet there are people listening to this right now who are like, storytelling's real nice, but I don't have anything. I've lived a really boring life. I'm just a guy who yeah. does my job, or I'm just a woman who has kids, right? You know, we discount our own lives and our own experiences often in that sense that we don't have a story. But I recently, in one of the podcasts, I, I had this moment where I realized that epic stories are literally just moments of decisions that build on each other until there's a transformation. And I think every single person who's listening to this, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, whether you were born into the gospel or you have found it, or you've, you know, whatever that looks like for you, you've had transformation. And if you stop for just a second and look back at those moments when you've been transformed and then kind of look, kind of start there and then go backwards, you'll discover that you actually do have an epic story. And sometimes it's just about the telling of it. It's just figuring out how to point out those moments of decision and build a little bit of tension so that your story can come out as epic. So one of the things that I love about This is the Gospel, like you said, Kurt, is that I don't have to tell the stories of famous people for it to mean something. Because every single person, if we spend enough time together, we'll figure out where your story is and what your story is. And my hope is that every leader who's listening, who thinks they don't have a story, will just stop for just a second and realize that they do, and then figure out how to find the story, because I think that's really powerful. And a good story, uh, as you've mentioned, involves a little bit of vulnerability, right? Mm, Um, 100%. And and so how, how would you explain the power of vulnerability to leaders out there? Because sometimes I can get real com- uncomfortable real yeah. fast sometimes when we go that way. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I served a mission in West Virginia and I remember hearing on my mission, first of all, they stressed me out the minute I was in the MTC and I walked into a, a very large gathering where they told us that um, we would all start practicing quiet dignity. And I was like, that's going to be a problem for me. But the other thing is we hear a lot of times we have this sort of cultural norm in our society and our church culture of not sharing our past sins, right? So when you talk about vulnerability, oftentimes people's minds go directly to this idea of I can't be vulnerable because I don't want to share my past sins with people. I don't want to break that wall down of letting people know what my sins are because those are private and they're between you and God, right? But I think that we're missing a really cool opportunity for connection. And I always call coronavirus and COVID that these are the now times. And then there's the before times. <laughs> and even in the before times, connection and vulnerability would lead to connection. But especially right now where we are literally on screens together, it is very hard to bring that same sense of connection and that same sense of deeply knowing another person over a screen. That's really hard. But that vulnerability that comes from telling our stories, from sharing those moments of transformation that sometimes include a moment when we weren't so perfect, a moment when we failed, a moment when we didn't follow the rules or we didn't, we weren't exactly obedient. 
those are the times when we can actually bring connection. And that makes us more relatable. It makes us more human. And it helps us to see one another in the way that Christ sees us, right? He sees all of our brokenness and he sees the transformation or he facilitates the transformation and he loves us anyway. And I think there's something really powerful about that. So I kind of glossed over it, but I do want to talk about the, like, what does it look like to share your failures? What does it look like to share those moments when you didn't quite get it right? Yeah. And really, because those moments are so important, not only because they share, they humanize an individual through vulnerability, but they also create space to testify about redemption, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it wouldn't be appropriate to just go around and share your <laughs> sin just uh, for the sake of yeah. well, that ain't nothing. Guess what I did once, you know, like, that's obviously not helpful. But when you go yeah. through and, you know, I think of the stories I've heard of from recovering addicts from individuals who've maybe had their membership removed for a time and hearing their story of redemption and connecting with Christ you just want to hug the people. And sometimes <laughs> you do, you know, yeah. again, in, in our before life, but, in the before but this is why, I mean, vulnerability, that's, that is, it's so key to an organization. And, and I think we can all think back to a moment where somebody's raised their hand in a relief society or an elders quorum or someplace and just said, you know, I'm struggling, or let me tell you about the time when I wasn't in the church, or yeah. let me tell you about my inactive years. And everybody just sort of leans forward, like, whoa, well, our, how does this end? And our first reaction might be like, what are they doing? this is not okay. This is not socially acceptable. Like our first reaction might be like that, right? Where as a congregation or as a class, we sort of sit back and we say, oh, they're heading into some dangerous territory. But the end result is that we love that person more, right? We hear that, like you said, you lean in, you start to pay attention. Whereas before you were on your cell phone, like looking at your Instagram. All of a sudden, when you're in sacrament meeting and somebody starts to tell a personal story, everybody listens. There's nothing like it. I just think storytelling yeah. is is a gift that we give to yeah. one another. And, and really, there's something about our, our biology, something mm-hmm. how our brain's wired, like a story naturally engages the human mind, right? Even yeah. if it's a, a poor told story, like yeah. as long as it's a story rather than bullet points or a yeah. few gospel principles or facts, right? And research bears that out, right? Story, the, the, as you said, there's something in our synapses or the way that we are, our brains are wired, that story is the way we do it. And I mean, think about it. Our scriptures are literally books and books of personal stories. That's all it is. Yeah. There's some teaching in there, but the teaching comes after we hear the story. And so like on the podcast, sometimes we'll get people who want to expound on the idea of the theme. And we always say, no, let the story do the teaching because it really can. Mm. The story can do the teaching. And it allows people, when you tell a story, it allows people to take what they want and what they need personally from that story to apply it to their own life instead of telling them what they're supposed to think from it. I said on my mission that we talked about don't share past sins. And I agree with that. I think that there is some level of there's a weird taboo about it, but it's there is some truth to the fact that, like you said, we shouldn't go around just like blasting out the details of our sin, right? But I was thinking about the brother of Jared and how he didn't leave out of his story. He didn't leave out the part where he ignored the Lord for years, where he didn't pray. He didn't leave out the part where he got chastised by Heavenly Father. It would have been really easy for him to do that, to just whitewash that story and say, you know, I've, uh, I've been good. I'm, I got these boats made. Everything happened the way it was supposed to, but it was important that he include that moment of failure 
And he did it in a way that was appropriate, right? There wasn't a huge, he didn't tell the story in deep detail about his sin or what he was doing during that time when he refused to play or when he forgot to pray or refused to pray. But he did mention that he, he did that. And I think that that's, to me, that's the thing. How we tell the story is as important as telling it, especially when it comes to appropriateness and how do we maintain appropriateness. Yeah, it's, you know, you can go down the list, everyone from Paul to Alma the Younger to, you know, it just goes on and on of those individuals who were willing to tell their story. And um, and it's it's their story and it's powerful when they share it, you know. Mm-hmm. Anything else? And, you know, talking about the, as far as like uh, formulating a story and, and mm-hmm. I mean, because you can't just hear this and think, oh, this is a great idea. So the next Zoom call we do for <laughs> Elders Quorum, I'm going to say, does anybody have a cool story about their life? And then, you know, crickets, right? <laughs> right, right. But there, you got to lead into this somehow and, and actually help others formulate their story. So and obviously, we're not all, you know, Hollywood directors that know how to do this type of thing. So what advice would you give as far as formulating a story and and allowing the story to speak for itself like you do through your podcast? So I there are a couple of really key things in storytelling that will help to make your story better. And the first thing is tell your own story. Don't tell someone else's story. Mm. I see that a lot. We want people to hear this cool thing that happened to our cousin. And sometimes it's appropriate to share part of someone else's story, but you can't get vulnerable if you're telling someone else's story. I think it's a cop-out. I think it's a way for us to distance ourselves from the hard work of acknowledging that we've been changed and that we that there's something internal happening because it's scary to do that. I get that. So the first thing that I tell people is you have to tell your own story. You have to look back in your history. You have to find those moments of decision and transformation, and you have to do that yourself. Tell your own story. And then I think the second, yeah. Can I interject on that? That oftentimes, especially in this format we have where we, a lot of times lessons in in Elders Quorum or Relief Society are based off of a general conference talk or even in sacrament meeting. And we think, oh, Elder Uchtdorf told this funny story. And we sort of rehash it, right? And everybody Mm -hmm. sort of laughs if it's a funny story or, or we get the point. But to step back and say, okay, that's his story what story in my life teaches the same principle that I could share? Because that's going to be, even if it's not as amazing or grandiose, and even if it's not as well told, it's still going to be more powerful than telling somebody else's story. Agreed. More effective. And it's applicable, right? It It takes an abstract principle that a general authority was trying to teach, and it shows somebody that it actually is something you can do in your own life. And telling our own stories does that. It shows people that the gospel is a thing to be lived. It's not a concept. It's an actual thing that we live and that we put into practice. So I really love that. I love that point. I think the other thing is, I think that sometimes we really struggle to know what details to put into our story. So if I'm a new storyteller, if I'm somebody who wants to tell my story, but I'm not sure exactly how to do it, there are a couple of things that I tell people. One, create an outline for yourself. You can do it chronologically. You can start at the beginning of the story and then walk us through the end point. So give yourself like one, two, three, four main points of decision in your story. And then in the middle of that, and and make sure that those are the points of decision, right? Like maybe one is setting up the context and then two is what happened. And then three is what was the result of what happened. And then four is what was your takeaway? So if you kind of build it into those four kind of structures that can help you to tell your story, if you're a beginning storyteller, that can help you to tell a decent story. 
And then you get to pick the details in there. I think one of the the things that can get a little difficult in some of our Sunday school lessons or from the pulpit is when people overburden us with the details that don't matter. Um, that's when a, sto- a story gets long-winded and you sort of miss the point because you're like, oh, they just told me about what they had for breakfast. That wasn't part of it. Or, or I love when they say like, oh, and then we went in this restaurant and then they puzzle. What was the name of that restaurant? Like, <laughs> Let's see. And it's like, that detail doesn't matter. Why are you thinking about it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So pick your details carefully. Keep it short. You can tell most stories in a shorter amount of time than you think you can. And then also be real. In those moments of decision, show the part where, be curious about your own story. So often I'll ask people questions as we're doing the story. I'll say, have you ever had an experience like that before? And then they'll say, yeah. And I said, did it turn out the same way? And oftentimes they'll say no. And so showing the time before where it didn't work out that way, especially if you're telling a story about following the spirit, right? So adding in a moment where you learned a different lesson from a time before can be really powerful. And then just recognizing that every positive miracle story has some really hard things in the middle that we can't gloss over moments of doubt, moments when you weren't sure if you were getting it right, a moment when you yelled at your kid. I mean, clearly, you don't want to do anything that embarrasses somebody else. But but adding those things in and being authentic and real about the course of your story, I think is really powerful for people. Yeah, you know, I did another interview with uh, Matthew Dix, who he does mm-hmm. the the Speak Up podcast. He, I love listening to his podcast, because he talks about the science of of formulating and building a story. And he always talks about this concept of the the moment of change. Like that should be the pinnacle. Like how are you changed in that story and to, and to start there and then build around that because yeah. that's the, that's where you want to take people, but it sometimes takes some, a, a, a story to get there. Yeah. And I think that I always call that the moment of transformation, right? Or the moment yeah, of discipleship. Moment of yeah. yeah I so that. I always think about what was the end. And then then you can kind of build the story down from that like, and go to the takeaways. But I think oftentimes when we're telling stories in scriptural or in church context, we get a little heavy handed with the lesson. And oh, yeah. that's something that I would caution people against. You lose your audience the minute you start talking about the lesson that you learned unless you've hit that transformational pinnacle and started to come down from it. Then people are ready to hear the takeaway. Then they're ready to hear the lesson and what you think about Alma and, and how that changed you. So, And, and this, that's the beauty of stories, especially in the context of maybe a, a, a lesson or, a, and obviously a lesson, you're looking for a lot more dialogue, but in a sacrament talk, you know, I've given state conference talks that are 30 plus minutes and you think, man, what am I, how am I going to feel all that time? Or, or somebody's just asked to speak in state conference for 10 minutes and yeah. they think, this is, that'll, I have to prepare, over-prepare, then they do 30 minutes and then the state presidency, I've been that state presidency member that's sweating, like, please, your time is up. Do I really have to pass you a note? I don't want to pass yeah. you a note. Please sit down. So I always tell people in your preparation, find a story and you're, you're 80, 90% there. And yeah. then once you tell that story, you think it through, then you get to a point where you can bring it home with some principles or whatever, and people are engaged the whole time. They yeah. love it. It's a better talk and it's easier to prepare. I agree 100%. Another really important thing is to know your audience. I think sometimes Mm. we try to tell a great story, but it's to the wrong people. If you're a leader and you're, especially if you're a male leader and you're going into a room full of women to teach a Relief Society lesson, know who you're talking to. And think about the story that you're going to tell and how that will actually be useful and interesting to the women that you're teaching. And if you're an adult and you're teaching a room full of youth, think about what stories of yours will be meaningful to them. 
And I think some of the greatest success that I've had with storytelling at church as a leader, I I was telling you this earlier, Kurt, but I was in the primary presidency and then they took me from there to put me in the young women's presidency. And now I'm in the Relief Society presidency. And it's not because I'm particularly smart at anything. I think they're just like, like she'll do some work, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure why. (laughs) But moving from primary, I told a different story in primary than I'm going to tell to the young men and the young women, you know? And I'm going to tell a different story in Relief Society than I would tell to the young men and the young women. The youth really respond to stories about yourself as a teenager um, in an appropriate way, but in a way that is empathetic to them. So I often will think about them and try to tell my story from the perspective of myself as a youth. Um, What did it feel like to be a teenager? What did it, in that moment, what was I actually thinking and feeling And how can that relate to what they might be feeling or thinking? I think sometimes we tell our stories from the perspective, the past perspective, without acknowledging what we were thinking in the moment at the time. It takes a little bit of, takes a little bit of creativity to tell a story to kids, I think, Mm -hmm. because you literally have to try to imagine what you were thinking and saying at that time. The truth is, I don't remember exactly how I was feeling. I don't remember exactly what I said or how I did that, but it's my story. So I get to be a little bit creative and thinking about what I was feeling or what I could have been feeling. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. And it's not that you're embellishing or making stuff up, but you're just trying to fill in the gaps that maybe your memories let go of while Mm -hmm. still telling a true story that has true principles within it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You also mentioned in, in the notes here that you, you know, don't tell a story of once I remember when I was a youth and I, you know, this happened and I thought this, and now I know that that's just ridiculous. So therefore that you should know that what you're doing is ridiculous. Like, obviously that's a, a crude way to do that, but, but, you know, telling yeah. it from your, your wise adult perspective, but being real about what you were feeling and how you were acting back then. Yeah. And I think that you can also, I mean, I think that there's some some value to seeing things as an adult and telling kids like, okay, here's what I learned from that. But you have to go where they are. You have to be willing in your storytelling to go where they are. And if you if you don't do that, you'll lose them because they won't. It's so hard. It's hard to be a grown up and try to teach teenagers. It's hard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Because I want to tell them, I'm like, I'm not that much older than you, but I am. I remember being their age and seeing a 43-year-old woman and thinking she was ancient. (laughs) And knowing that, knowing that about your audience, if you can tell them a story about your own experience at their age without editorializing too much, and then also after you're done telling the story, say, have you guys had any experiences like that? And then let them tell their stories. That is how you get kids to pay to pay attention, and that's how you get kids to respond. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and and really focusing on those moments that shaped you, right? Yeah, in, in your developmental years. And and I also, I mean, I can think of a few times as a youth where I felt like you know someone told a story, or you go to a fireside, right? And the, the guy's there who's climbed Mount Everest or whatever, <laughs> and. It's so unrelatable or it's, you know, going back to being too on the nose, like Mm -hmm. I just knelt down and prayed and everything worked out. You know, like when we go to, to ideal, idealistic, it can, it can maybe confuse some of those experiences that they're having. So that's where you got to bring in that vulnerability Mm -hmm. because when those stories of you just praying and everything works out, there's no vulnerability there. There's almost like 
I am such a man of faith and uh, <laughs> I did this thing, right? And so you can accidentally put yourself on a pedestal when you're trying to tell a story. And that's why vulnerability is so crucial in this process, right? Yeah. And I promise you there will be more connection and more gifts of the spirit that come out of you explaining a time or telling a story about a time when you when you did pray and nothing happened and how you still had faith even though or how there was a period of time where you didn't have any faith but then something happened to bring that faith back into your heart you will have more connection more hope more belonging from those kids more trust they will trust you more and they will come to you with the they will come to you with the real questions that they have. If you can show them that you can be trusted with their story and with the hard parts of their story by sharing the hard parts of yours. Yeah. And let's be very clear what this podcast is about. It's about creating safety. I mean, the psychological safety in an organization is paramount. Like there's, that should be well-established. And a lot of times you don't know how to do that, but telling vulnerable stories, inviting others to tell stories they know wow, I can say anything here in this room. And wow, I can approach that youth leader. I can tell her anything because they've been vulnerable and like spirits connect and there's safety there. And so that's really what storytelling is about. It's not about entertainment. It's about safety. Well, and I was thinking about Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 50, verses 21 through 23, you know, where it talks about how we commune with one another. I was thinking about that because it's that part where he says, Therefore, why is it that you cannot understand and know that he that receiveth the word by the spirit of truth receiveth it as it is preached by the spirit of truth? Wherefore, he that preacheth and he that receiveth understand one another and both are edified and rejoice together. And I think about edifying and rejoicing together as a gift of storytelling. Hmm. When we tell our stories, something cracks open in each of us so that the spirit can be present for both people. And that's true communion. And I have felt that over and over again. So anything else as far as in the youth uh, uh, context or or telling stories as, as a leader before we move on? Anything we didn't touch on? I do think that it's important to invite. We mentioned inviting storytelling from teenagers um, as part of that. I think that as a leader, developing your questions to invite storytelling is going to be a really, really cool trick to have in your bag. Getting teenagers to talk in the first place is sometimes really, really difficult, but there are certain ways that you can develop and ask your questions for them that will offer them an opportunity to tell a story. Just talking to the the science of getting youth to talk, I mean, that seems (laughs) insurmountable alone, right? But focusing on stories and even in the in the casual moments where they're like, hey, you know, how was school? Like, whoa, what happened? Tell me that story, you know, Mm -hmm. just getting them tell a funny experience at school or with their group of friends or whatever. And that stimulates this feeling of telling stories. Yeah. Yeah. And community among them, which I think is really important. Let's move on to we're entering dangerous territory here, Corinne. So uh, we luckily we have the edit button by our side. (laughs) So uh, but let's talk about testimony meeting. Uh, happens every month in, uh-huh. in a normal world. First Sunday of the month, open mic Sunday, as some people jokingly call it. Mm-hmm. And what a great venue for stories until it's not, right? So yeah. So yeah. What, what perspective do you have on that meeting and the use of stories? So I want to tell you actually that I had a moment of repentance about testimony meetings. So when I was in a young single adult ward, I got married in my mid-30s. And so I attended Young Single Adult Worlds for a very long time. And my friends and I used to have this thing that we called IPD, which was inappropriate pulpit disclosure. 
And anytime somebody would get up, never heard of this. I know it's a whole thing we had. Anytime somebody would get up and they would tell a very personal and vulnerable story, we would like, like sign language IPD to each other. And we were mocking that we were honestly like, like really uncomfortable with the level of, of openness that some people shared. And we felt like it was like, Oh, that's not a thing. That's a thing you share with your therapist, not a thing that you share over the pulpit. And, um, and I have recently in the last probably 10 years, um, really repented of that. Like I have felt that I've made some mistakes in thinking about other people telling their story and sharing their vulnerabilities as fodder for my humor. And Look at you get all vulnerable I know. <laughs> and, and confess your sin. Yeah, I'm <laughs> confessing past sin. But I think the reason that I share that is because I mentioned earlier that that as listeners, as hearers of those stories, we can get super uncomfortable. And it's important for us to offer grace and to offer mercy to people who are learning how to tell their story and who may not understand that the time isn't right or the place isn't right or the space isn't right. There's a lot of growing and learning that goes on in the process of storytelling. And giving each other grace for that is going to be really important for us to change our perspective on the value of testimony meeting. We had a a situation in our family where my husband had to go to treatment for three months. And it was like the elephant in the room, you know, like we're at church and where is my husband? Where is he at? And I realized that the best place for me to share that information was actually a testimony meeting and not in a way that was overly sharing. I just got up and I said, you might notice that my husband is gone. I just wanted to let everybody know that he has gone into a treatment. And then I bore testimony of the savior. I shared that story as a way to help the ward bear my burden. I needed them to bear my burden with me. And I needed them to know the story that was coming from that. I think that testimony meeting is a space where we can bear one another's burdens, but we can't do that if we don't share the burden, if we don't testify of Christ and explain what's happening for us. So a ward that can offer a safe space for that kind of storytelling, where we can set the tone as leaders to open ourselves up and to share the things that are happening in our lives in in ways that testify of Christ that can create a space in our ward where love can flourish and where people can actually know what's going on with one another and feel safe that if they do share what's happening with them, that somebody's going to be there to catch them, that somebody's going to be there yeah. to hear them and to offer to mourn with them. Yeah. And I love the concept of, of giving them grace because we, we've talked about this concept before of vulnerability hangover. You know, mm-hmm. someone may have the courage to share such a story that's so personal and, and so vulnerable. And then they think the rest of the day, oh, why did I do that? Like yeah. people are judging me now. They don't want that. So giving grace often looks like you coming up to them after and saying, wow, that was beautiful. You know, I really related that. Let me tell you my story, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when when you get to the point where somebody responds to a story with a story, like it's working. <laughs> it's beautiful. And I love that. I love that really practical way of us approaching that. Even if you had that moment of horror that they were sharing something that was scary or that maybe that wasn't the right venue for it, offering grace does look like showing up for them in that space and saying, I heard you and giving them that grace. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. And do you have any thoughts? Because when we think about, well, if we, you know, 
if we share too many stories, you got the the oversharers that are going to come out of the woodwork and they're going <laughs> to share too much and it's going to be awkward or, or, you know, they'll maybe share somebody's story that's not their story or, or whatever. Any advice on considering the oversharers? So I think that our role as leaders is to be the filter, right? So as people are telling their stories and as they're sharing their stories, we are listening with our whole heart and with the spirit. And we set the tone for that meeting. So oftentimes, if somebody is sharing a story that's inappropriate or that's hard to hear, that isn't, that it's, it's overshare or there's something that's not quite working, my job as a leader is to gently pull the conversation back and to allow that to live where it did, right? And then to do the job of maybe telling another story right after that brings the spirit back in. I'm not sure if that's what you're, what you were asking about, but I have felt that several times where you open the door to storytelling. You open the door to this kind of sharing and it's going to get a little uncomfortable for people. So as a leader, you have to sort of teach and train the people that you have stewardship over that we're going to make this a safe place for everybody, including that person that just shared that story. And so I pray with all of my heart when we have a new teacher that I have invited to teach something, I pray with all of my heart during that lesson that I will know how to allow their story to be heard. And then how to bring that back to the lesson if it goes off the rails. Yeah. Dan Duckworth uh, talks about this concept a lot where good leadership will always involve some level of risk and we have to (laughs) lean into that risk to Mm -hmm. some extent, right? And we can't just remove all risk and hope everything goes well. Like that's part of the growing process is that risk and leaning into it. And so, yeah, when you open mic, you might get the overshare, but you know, I asked this question on our the Leading Saints Helpers group and just I asked the question of is it appropriate to share past transgressions mm. or trials or whatever, you know, in a public setting at church and it was interesting to see the dialogue that came from that and one principle that came to the surface was well, but there's always going to be someone who's going to say something inappropriate or overshare and whatnot and my thought there my response as I talked to others about it was well, they're doing that anyway, right? They're going to, the overshare typically finds a way to get behind the mic, yeah. <laughs> you know, whether it is fast and testimony meeting or elsewhere. So it's yeah. going to happen anyways, just realize, yeah, it'll happen, but we're doing this for a greater cause, a greater effort yeah. in telling stories. Right? Well, and I think that as a leader, it's our job to practice telling those stories too, right? So not the overshare stories, but to learn how to be a good storyteller so that we can set the tone for what a good story is and how it changes people. I have a firm belief that we get better at telling stories by listening to good stories. And so um, I'm a huge fan of people spending time ingesting stories, right? Like finding great story podcasts and other things that will help you to, to be a, a, Elder Holland is an amazing storyteller on every level. Yeah. So if all you do is just spend some time listening to Elder Holland every single day, you will just get better by osmosis. Like that will just be part of what happens for you. But I think as leaders developing and, and creating a better pattern of storytelling for ourselves will help those that we are part of to know how to tell a better story as well. So I think it's part of our stewardship to get better at that vulnerable storytelling and to take those leaps of faith and to show up for people in that way. And this is where, you know, the risk is it where you have to lean in is oftentimes to stimulate stories in your organization. The leader has to be the one that begins with those vulnerable stories, you know, and I think I've shared this before on the podcast, but 
a few months ago, we do an FHE, a family home meeting at my parents' house once a month with all my siblings and our nieces and nephews. And I told a story a few months ago about as a youth, the time I had to go to the bishop and several times I had to go to the bishop and mm-hmm. confess something, right? Mm-hmm. And it just makes you pause a little bit. If you're out there listening and thinking, have I ever shared with my children when I had to go see the bishop or when I had to confess something? Because when I was a youth, I thought nobody really ever does that. Like yeah. that's like the last resort, like when you did some really, really bad, right? Yeah. And so by starting there, it not only connects you with, with your children, but you know, going and especially those stories that you know that was 25 years ago maybe so it's like i am so far away from that story it doesn't feel like what do people think of me like i was obviously a different (laughs) person then and so even going back and and being real with some of those personal moments as a leader that's going to stimulate a lot of momentum with storytelling and i'll say this brene brown auntie brene as we like to call her has (laughs) says something about storytelling that i think is really powerful and that i've held on to and that is that you cannot tell your story until you're far enough removed from it that you don't care what other people think of it. Hmm. So I think that um, in all of this talk of vulnerability and honesty and rawness and realness and storytelling, you need to be at a place where if you tell that story, you don't care one way or the other if somebody reacts to it poorly. And knowing yourself well enough to know if you've hit that point, that's between you and Heavenly Father, right? (laughs) But I think that's why it was easier for you now to recall that moment and to tell your kids about it. Because at this point, the greater good of teaching your children about the the value of repentance and confession outweighed any perceived fear that you had about it wrecking your life or making them see you differently. And that's because of that space of removal. And for some people, that happens a week after the incident. And for some people, that's 25 years after the incident. And so I think that that is something to keep in mind as you're thinking about when a story should be told and how to tell it. Yeah. Yeah. And and really sitting with that thinking, man, I don't know if I'm ready to tell that story and, and sitting with that and thinking, why aren't I ready? You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of revelation, inspiration that can yeah. come from asking that question or finding somebody, depending on what it is, even a therapist or maybe just the bishop that you can go tell that story to so that you can understand yeah. Why am I resistant to be more open about who I am and what has transpired in my life? I love that. And I'm a huge writer. So I would also say, sit down and journal about it. Write that story out in your journal. And that's one way to process what it means to you and how it happened and why might be important for you to share that right now. You know, I help with the video and podcast at Deseret Book. And recently I got to produce a segment where Sister Roberto did an interview with Yehosh Bonner. And it was so beautiful we should put a link to that in your show notes because it's so good. But she has an amazing life story. Like the church did three videos all about her life and she has endured so many different trials and challenges. And they do this beautifully in this documentary style. And one of the questions that, that we asked her was, is it hard for you to tell your personal stories because there's severe tragedy in her story? And this was years ago, right? So there's a lot there to unpack. But But she paused for just a second and then she said, yeah, of course it's hard for me to tell these stories. I cry every single time I tell them. But then she said this, and I'm going to quote her directly because I don't want to take her out of context. She said, there is power in telling our stories. When someone tells me their story, something happens. They become more relatable and I realize they're just human beings like I am and just like others. And we can see that we are not alone. Of course, we need to follow the Holy Ghost in the way and the time and the context when we share our stories. And then she said, 
But at some point, I realized that my story doesn't belong to me. It really belongs to God because He is the one who made me. And I also need to be able to testify of the miracle that He has made of my life. Ever since she said that, I realized that that's why I'm so drawn to this. Our stories don't belong to us, they belong to Heavenly Father. And He knows when we need to share one. And He knows when we need to put that in front of a congregation or our child or our journal. (laughs) Like He knows when we need that. And so if we invite the Spirit to help us know when and how, He's going to help us with that. Wow, that's powerful. Great way to wrap up here. Any other principle? We've got maybe one more question, two more questions for you. But any other principle or thought that we haven't covered or do do we do it well? I do think it's important, though, that we talk about some boundaries for storytelling for us as leaders. Um, And the first is that I think, you know, every time that we are developing a story for the podcast, one of the things that we think about is, will this story do harm? And that means, will it do harm for the person who's telling the story if it's put out into the public? Will it do harm to someone else's faith if we don't tell it the right way, you know? Um, can that story do harm? And so I think that's a really good question to ask yourself as you develop stories for telling over the pulpit or in classes. Can this story do harm? And um, you might not know if that story can do harm, but Jesus does. <laughs> the Spirit does. The Spirit knows where the vulnerabilities and the weak spots are in, in the audience that you're sharing it with. And I believe that you can ask for that kind of guidance as you're figuring out what stories to tell and when to tell them. I just think that's a really important thing for us to remember as leaders is that that stories are powerful. And Sister Roberto said that story, there is power in telling our stories for good and for ill and allowing Heavenly Father to be part of the process of developing your story so that you can make sure that you're doing the most good with it. That's that's really important. And again, it's it's a risk at times. And so you have to lean in. Sometimes you'll overcorrect mm-hmm. or have to adjust, but it's worth leaning in yeah. and taking that risk as a leader to connect your organization for sure. Love it. So I have one more question for you, but tell us, uh, I need you to plug all your stuff oh. before we, we sign <laughs> off here. So if people want to hear some uh, stories on This is the Gospel, where would you send them? Is there any social media stuff or yes. plug it all? So probably the best place to find us is uh, at LDS Living. So if you go to ldsliving.com slash podcast, you'll find all three of the podcasts that we have, the All In podcast, This is the Gospel and Sunday on Monday study group. And you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at this is the gospel underscore podcast. Yeah, that's where we are. Come and find us. Great awesome. stories. And and oh, here's the best part. We have a pitch line. So if you yeah, have I was a really say, you gotta mention the pitch line. <laughs> yeah. So if you have a really great story to tell and you after you listen to a couple of episodes of the podcast and you see sort of the format of that, please call the pitch line and pitch a story. We we get a lot of our stories for the podcast from that pitch line. And the number for that pitch line is on ldsliving.com slash podcast. Awesome. Well, Corinne, as we, uh, as you've had opportunity to uh, be a leader and you're sort of in this maybe informal leadership role, uh, producing this podcast and, and setting an example of what storytelling is, but as you think about your time as a leader, how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ? For me, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about ministering. It's about ministry and ministering. And as I think about my role in 
I've never been the president of anything, so I'm really grateful for that. But, but as a storyteller and as a producer, um, making sacred things sometimes, I feel the weight of that ministry. I think that I understand better the love that my leader has for me. Because when I think about all the people that I've been able to be a part of their life through storytelling and how much joy I find in hearing the ways that people have found the Savior and applied the gospel in practical ways to their life, it's helped me to understand how much Heavenly Father loves watching my life unfold. Like how much joy I have in hearing other people's stories and seeing them come to Jesus helps me to see that he is just as excited to hear how I'm coming to Jesus. And it makes me want to tell him everything. It makes me want to not be ashamed of the moments when I fail and not be ashamed of the times when I don't come through because I know that he is finding joy in the growth and he's finding joy in watching me mess up and come back. That concludes my interview with Corinne Lay. I appreciate her being so real with me, so vulnerable, right? Very meta episode where we talk about the power of vulnerability and then she serves it up to us and she was such a fantastic guest. So heartfelt, so awesome. And guess what? You can get more of that at This Is The Gospel Podcast. We should subscribe to and follow. Your life will be blessed. Of course, it won't interfere with your Leading Saints podcast time, am I right? <laughs> Anyways, no, even if you have to skip an episode of Leading Saints here and there and listen to hers, well worth it. I would love your feedback on this topic. Push back on us. Where is it that you think storytelling is too dangerous to implement in our leadership experience, in our organizations? Is it too dangerous? Are you willing to lean into the risk or is the risk too much? I would love to hear from you. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and let us know. Also, if there's another sort of this, I kind of feel like storytelling is sort of like this nuance in leadership. Like, I don't think you'll find too many leadership books that have a whole chapter on storytelling, but I really feel like it's crucial to stimulate connection and and unity, right? Because here's what typically happens. We have that lesson, hey, how can we be more unified in Elders Quorum? And they're like, hey, we should have more activities. Let's do a pizza party. Bring your favorite board game. Like that doesn't work. I'm here to tell you that doesn't work. Okay, pizza's good and it's fun to hang out, but that's not the end all, okay? You got to figure out how to tell each other's stories and then go from there. And then obviously there's more to it. So I would be interested to hear what other nuances are out there that maybe we could touch on that would help leaders better lead around a concept that you may not expect to be fun to hear. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.